Welcome back to what is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry. My name is Dr. David Clay, and it is awesome to be able to uh, join with you again on today's podcast uh, and discuss <laughs> many, many, many things, all of them word-related, God-related, Bible-related, uh, and also, hopefully, you'll find some relevance, uh, something that relates to you uh, that we could say or that we say that uh, otherwise uh, blesses you, encourages you, lifts you up, supports you. Um, most of what I bring to the program or the podcast uh, actually comes from <laughs> counseling sessions. Uh, I should probably uh, confess that, uh, that I don't know what I would be or what I would do uh, if I did not have an opportunity to sit down and uh, speak with people. Um, I, I should probably qualify that a bit. Uh, I am not the most socially either gifted or talented individual in the world. Uh, I'm not one of those persons that uh, most naturally has a lot of charisma. Uh, <laughs> you could probably already tell that. Uh, I'm also uh, not necessarily someone that wouldn't say hello uh, if I were to see you on the street uh, or if we were to pass in a hallway. Uh, it's not that I don't understand pleasantries. Uh, it's not that I uh, don't reach out to people uh, because all of those things I think are important and good. Uh, and it wouldn't be also that I would desire to be superficial or that I think that I am in that sort of way superficial. But those deeper relationships, those most intimate of relationships, are hard to find in this world. Uh, I might not be the best person at that, and that's my confession unto you. However, I have a suspicion that I might not be alone in that. I, I do believe some individuals are more charismatic, they are more gifted. Uh, you meet them and they have such personality, it just exudes from them. Hopefully it's good personality. I suppose there are some individuals that probably have uh, what most of us might see as, as not so good traits uh, that could be equally sort of charismatic or energetic, um, um, maybe even intrusive if you want to put it in that context, uh, could create as much difficulty as they do pleasure. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not even sure that is really what intimacy is all about. Uh, I think intimacy comes from a certain set of conditions, uh, a circumstance. Now, that may be a bit odd uh, in this uh, sort of regard. I don't think circumstances or situations necessarily creates intimacy, I think circumstances and situations may define intimacy. I think it's necessary to define what it takes to be intimate, uh, if that makes any sense. Now, uh, of course, <laughs> as I've said, uh, I get most of what I present to you, and hopefully in somewhat of an intimate sort of context or way, uh, from my counseling sessions. Um, those sessions are well-defined. There's rules that go along with those counseling sessions. Uh, many, many, many rules, uh, ethical consideration, even legal considerations that accompany uh, what I do or as I do that uh, in some sort of a 
private practice or a practice model. But beyond all the law and all the ethics and, and such that are attached to my profession, counseling psychology, what I would like to say, though, is that more important than any of those would be this idea of trust as it might bring forth intimacy. Now, now how do you trust someone? Well, that person has to, first and foremost, most likely have some idea themselves and can communicate at least that awareness and understanding to you of what trust is about. Uh, trust is a promise. I'm not going to harm you. That's an important component of trust. Trust may also be, I'm not going to take any of the information that otherwise is confidential, that instead would be confidential, considered confidential or private, and share it with others. Not necessarily that anybody would care too much about that, except that, again, it would get back to the idea of trust and harm. Uh, certain pieces of information puts people in a position of vulnerability. Uh, why would I want to go around telling everyone my weaknesses? And even in a word context, it got a lot of people in trouble in the Old Testament when they allowed people to come in and not only see all their riches, but also be able to understand and comprehend uh, basically what it was between them and all those riches. If you let them into your house, you show them where your riches are stored, they find out or they can see easily, obviously, how to get there. If they have any intentions to harm you, whether it be as with the uh, adversary, the thief, he cometh to, as word again says, kill, steal, and destroy. His intention is to steal your riches. Why would anyone want to expose that to someone they can't trust? So not only is it a promise, but it has to also have some action attached to it. But if we're defining the counseling relationship, which truly must then be all about intimacy, must be about opening up and uh, revealing whatever it is that is most important inside of you, uh, your very soul, your very being, which is probably the riches. It's the thing that is, certainly for God, of greatest value. After all, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem that. Uh, it isn't that your body's not important. Uh, it certainly wouldn't be that life in even a natural context, context isn't important. But life is in the blood. It's in the soul. It is in the soul of the individual, which is inside of the, again, individual and the person. Jesus comes to save the soul. Unfortunately, we all let the thief in. We all expose ourselves, probably when we are still in a state of innocence, when we really don't understand or comprehend what the implications might be of that revelation, exposure, uh, we're innocent uh, in our belief in people. We trust people. We're hopefully brought up 
all of us at some point having some innocence, some losing it sooner than others, some to strangers, unfortunately, some to individuals that are all too familiar, folks in our home, and so word might call it familiar spirits, who, who instead of being healthy, who instead of appreciating, who instead of really knowing how to love us, knowing how to be intimate with us without harming us, out of probably the truth of the matter would be their own injuries, their own wounds that have yet to be healed. Uh, walls go up, defense mechanisms take place or are engaged. Uh, people get into equally so defensive posturing. Uh, they're not very intimate. They're not very uh, open, exposed. Why? Short version of all of that is they've been hurt. And that's kind of what happens with our innocence. We get hurt along the way. Somebody makes a promise and it's broken. And in its being broken, there is no ability to either fix it, restore it. Uh, possibly there's attempts made. Uh, the only answer, of course, within context of word would be forgiveness. But individuals who don't have much abundance inside of them are really kind of of the sway of that thief in that even if they were to want to, consciously intend to, when you get into vulnerability, you get into intimate territory with somebody, it starts to get scary. Why? Because, again, you've shown them your treasure. You've opened yourself up. You've uncovered your nakedness. or They see you in that regard. There is no wall there. And it is your glory, but if they otherwise are sort of like, don't cast your pearls before swine, as it would be trampled then by the swine underfoot, um, if they don't appreciate it, they don't understand it, they themselves have long lost their innocence, and rather than ever finding someone who in the context of a situation or circumstance can demonstrate exactly what it is to trust, how they can be intimate and open without fear of someone harming them, they're not going to know. They're not going to have changed. They're going to continue to go through life harming you. And again, I'll give them this. Maybe it's with some positive intention. But they still create damage, harm, because they're like, as the proverbial, not necessarily word, but the proverbial bull in the china shop. They are very insensitive and maybe <clears throat> more than just some ignorance or, again, as they've kind of gotten into the trap, they don't yet, they have yet to really see love for what it is and realize it. They've not received that love from someone who will frame it within that definition of what love really is. Uh, not only vulnerability, not only walls down, but refusing and resisting to take advantage of that when we're hurt. And truth of the matter is 
we all get hurt. No one escapes the natural life without some degree, significant degree of disappointment. And with that disillusionment, someone came along in effect, kind of like the counseling situation, and promised, we are not going to hurt you. We love you. I love you unconditionally. But in that, and in their humanity, and in that, their weakness, because the two go together, humanity and weakness, it is iniquity, it does result in sin, the promise is broken. And even if the promise should not be intentionally broken by that individual who otherwise has made it, situations and circumstances in life oftentimes preempt our best attempts at being faithful and true to our promise. And of course, that never happens within the context of the counseling situation. And certainly, I am, again, bound by all kinds of constraints and restraints, and even at times they appear to be threats if I don't uphold my ethics of my profession, the ethics of my profession, and the laws that go along with them, then I am going to pay a penalty. Now, again, my intentions are to be true to my word. But even so, doesn't that sound familiar as with, again, in the Bible or in the word, particularly once more, the Old Testament, because I have recently been into Leviticus, and anybody who's familiar with the Old Testament word recognizes when you get into Leviticus, you're getting into a lot of rules. Moses coming off the mountain, having had his encounter with God, left that situation and circumstance. Get that? That private, confidential audience with God with a number of rules and regulations besides the Ten Commandments. Now, fortunately, the only ones that truly endured were the Ten Commandments. Were the rest of them not important? I wouldn't say that. Were the rest of them insignificant? I wouldn't say that either. But the rest of them, though, were probably more bound in the situation and circumstance than were a product of what the situation and circumstance allowed to ensue. I'll give you an example. So you and I meet, and we decide we kind of enjoy each other's company. I say, hey, let's hang out. They used to say that. I don't know if they say that anymore. We're going to be friends. Well, on the front end of that, you need to know, am I telling you, one, the truth? And secondly, am I going to follow through? Especially as friendship would go. And friendship is not necessarily what we've been talking about today on the podcast. It has a certain degree of intimacy, but it has to be verifiable. And another word for that is it has to be validated. So when Moses instituted all of those other rules, they were not necessarily insignificant, 
but they were from the tree of life. Not of knowledge of good and evil, but the tree of life. Why do I say that? Because much like that, they have become sentinel, and out of them has come, of course, the true tree of life, Jesus Christ. Now, the knowledge of good and evil basically is all those other things, could be said, my opinion, that we've been talking about. If you just go through life and, and try to process your experiences, and if it's true we've all been hurt along the way, the knowledge of good and evil is I can't trust anyone. I can't let down the wall. I can't be intimate. I can't love. Why? Because the moment I begin to love is the moment I begin to set myself up to be hurt. You've got to show to me you are not going to hurt me, harm me. You're not going to expose my treasures to the rest of the world so that they can hurt me and harm me. And should you know where my treasures are because I have shown you my glory, even as God showed his glory to, again, Moses on the mountaintop, I am not going to harm you and use that against you. Though I know, think about Balaam, where your vulnerability is, and even as much God has told me not to harm you, I could still trick you. I could probably tell someone else how to get to that without myself directly harming you. But then where would your trust be? And would that not just do the same or the result of that be the same as what's happened before? And the answer, of course, is yes. It does no good. It does more harm to open up to somebody else and they hurt you again. You can't do that out of the knowledge of good and evil, out of the flesh, even with your brain working. And I say that only because if you get hurt badly enough, your brain starts to malfunction because there's logic and in that reasoning and rationality of what I'm saying. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is word. But it doesn't work because even though your brain would see that as appropriate, your experiences in life do not match up to that. Because most individuals, though that is a great creed to live by, ultimately in the end, though it may not be many, though it may be of some restraint so that a person goes through life harming as few as possible, but it's still going to be true. A promise, the promise of love, is going to somehow be betrayed or broken. I don't want to break them. I would hope that if they are broken or someone betrays them, it's not of somebody such as your family, again, familiar spirits, somebody who is so close to you, somebody that you have over the course of your life not only desired love from, but have sought love from because of that desire, made yourself vulnerable, exposed yourself, and then been hurt over and over 
and over again. The rules Moses implemented or instituted that were addendum to the Ten Commandments were basically to try to practice some degree of restraint to set up the situation and circumstance then that was necessary for the safety of openness and vulnerability. Now, whether it is entirely true, partially true, it seems and appears out of a spiritual dimension. I believe it to be the Holy Spirit. I don't want to necessarily claim that. You discern that out of the Holy Spirit for yourself, what I'm about to say, if it's true or not. But in the same way, the Old Testament sets up the situation and circumstance for us to then experience the intimacy of the Holy Spirit as he brings forth love, God's perfect love, first unto us through our Savior Jesus Christ and then calls us unto one another, again, in our Savior Jesus Christ, to know that there is a one God promise that defines a situation and circumstance that has all of these kind of penalties attached to it. And for the purposes of our discussion, I'm not going to get into them. I can truthfully tell you that I remember them all. And quite frankly, I listen to them and I still don't comprehend them all. But I'm sure if I were a Hebrew and I were in the wilderness, everything Moses gave to the people in such detail was important because they were in and of themselves a rebellious stiff-necked bunch. They were used to that. Egypt and the taskmasters told them what to do every moment of every day. And with that, there was all kinds of pain and punishment. They were not able yet to find a situation and circumstance as defined that would allow them to let down the wall, to open up, and to share to be able to, in the safety of that situation, experience all the love of God that he has for us. Now, of course, we, after Christ's advent in this world, not only have eternal security and salvation as a result of Christ's advent in this world, as he then brought the love of God unto us in a tangible, measurable demonstration of such, But we take that for granted. We have the Holy Spirit as we would have accepted Jesus. And even as we don't accept Jesus, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't working within us to the coming to an awareness of Jesus as the Christ and asking for, get this, the love of God to receive that. But we have to know, though, that even though it seems that's all part of a common experience, Love is only in this world because God has chosen to define it in a context of situation and circumstance that allows his Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being love, to flow not only unto us, from within us, unto us, but unto one another. That's the Garden of Eden. It is in us to love, but it's also in us to be hurt and harmed and our innocence to again be stolen by the thief, 
which is the devil, for any that might not understand or know the word of God in a way that understands what I'm talking about. But he works, devil, that is. He manifests himself in the human nature. It's selfish, human nature. We are selfish creatures in our humanity. That's why our soul needs to be redeemed because it has been taken over by our humanity, which is in many, many, if not directly, many, many ways, if not directly, the knowledge of good and evil. You can be empirical, you can be rational, you can be a good citizen, you can be pleasant, you could say hello, goodbye, thank you, you can be in that superficial and still have a heart that's guarded, that really doesn't have any life coming into it, more so love coming into it as it is going out of it. And I think Jesus spoke to the point of the Pharisees as with whitewashed sepulchers. They looked all beautiful, but inside they were dying. Why? Because they had walls. They no longer were vulnerable. They were no longer innocent. They were trying to play the odds, run the game, so that they did not have to make themselves available to express themselves in any way uh, along this line of intimacy and certainly did not truly love the people. They knew what love was because of Moses, Abraham. They knew the promise because of Abraham. Moses just refined it. They were masters at the law, the Ten Commandments, but they were hypocrites. They could not practice it because they did not understand that the essential element of that situation and circumstance is reciprocity. There has to be at least some degree of mutuality, 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 mutuality. Uh, I have to be as vulnerable as you. Now, let's get back to that person. I said, hey, let's be friends. I've got to show you that. But God did. He never harmed them, beginning with Adam and Eve. Now, again, there were punishments, but most of that was self-inflicted. If God says, don't do something because it's going to harm you and you do it anyhow, whose fault is that? Moses was just trying to refine it, to define it. Now, fortunately so, because we know the Old Testament, we do not have to worry about that again, as we are now, especially in, in those of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we know what it takes. We know it takes that ability not to kill one another. And you do that in many, many ways of course, in the Old Testament, murder was awful, and it should still be awful today, although that's possibly questionable in some societies and from some viewpoints to take another life. And I have to say this. Abortion is murder. I won't go into it. I'm not going to get preachy about it. I hope I have not offended too many people but abortion is murder. But there's many other ways to murder people. At the same time, you can murder people 
by judging them. And you can avoid that condemnation, or at least in some ways, we call it reaction formation in more psychological sort of terms, if you're interested or inclined to look at it that way. But instead of owning it ourselves, it's much easier to point it out in you. Ah, this isn't according to the law, the, the royal law. This isn't according to the Old Testament. What this is about is you failing to adhere by the terms. Where at the same time, I'm not going to tell you because I'm going to keep it from you because I've got a hardened heart, because I've got some deception, some self-deception, I've got uh, hypocrisy, I've got denial, I have manifest iniquity, I have sin then that's coming out of that iniquity, equally manifest, I'm going to put it all on you, and I'm going to pretend like I don't got a problem. Now, whether coming to see me... <laughs> in a counseling context, should require me to divulge you, to you my problems, I'm not going to. It's unethical. Why? Because it risks then a very important line being blurred. I can never make myself, put myself in any situation or circumstance that would put you, the person that's coming to see me, at any risk of my selfishness, my humanity, my inability to do this objectively, responsibly, again, ethically, but also biblically. I can't do that. I have to protect you. Otherwise, again, you're not going to talk to me. And getting back to that friendship example, you're not going to be my friend if we don't live by those rules. But if you do find me to be faithful and true to the promise then you're going to begin to open up. And if you open up and you find out that I am not going to stone you, I'm not going to in any way judge you, I'm not going to in any way try to harm you, I'm not going to in any way expose you to the rest of the world so that they might do the same thing, then you're going to trust me. But that's where the trust then opens up or allows us to open up that covenant, that relationship promise, that promise of the word that somewhere between those definitions and the trust, and if we can then be ourselves, we discover that the Ark of the Covenant is really us, and in us is the Word of God. We just have to have, get this, the seal broken. Now again, we could spend a long time talking about the book of Revelation, but we need to just realize only Jesus was worthy to break the seven seals. But the seals are all the things that keep us from opening up our heart in a way to manifest the true glory of God, which he has deposited in, as the Apostle Paul, I believe, describes it, earthen vessels. He has chosen to put it into corruption, corruptibility. Humanity, humanism is corrupted. It is of the flesh. But the divine nature is put into a flesh body. But when that intimacy, first and foremost, with God, 
is found because Jesus comes and not only does he not harm you, not only does he not judge you, but he in that dies for you. That's important. Instead of hurting you by blaming you and putting that on you, Jesus instead put himself on the cross. Though he knew no sin, while we were yet in sin, Christ died for us. Quiet for a moment. That is so important. If we don't believe that, we don't receive his love. That's important. How we get there is through the Holy Spirit inside of us. How God ministers to us is through the Holy Spirit inside of us. How that word then becomes life unto first us and then others is the miracle of salvation. It is Jesus. It is the difference between knowing what we should do, defining it so that we have a chance to at least try to do it without getting hurt along the way. Again, mutually so, reciprocally so. But if you want agape, unconditional love in your life, you have to let down the wall. And truthfully, you're going to still get hurt. But it's not by God, it's not by love. Love makes you vulnerable, but you don't receive love until you're vulnerable. You can't be intimate unless you are yourselves with somebody else, unless you are yourselves intimate within yourselves, within self. But to do that, God distributes that through his Holy Spirit by proxy of Jesus Christ. Through one person, one man, salvation has come unto the world. Not because necessarily we aren't called in the name of Christ to love others even as Christ loves us. If that's familiar, it's the Ten Commandments then brought down to the two great commandments of the New Testament. But rather because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we can't depend on that mechanism, particularly even out of a good intention. I promise you, I'm not going to harm you. It does not work in the flesh. Even if will is there, there's all sorts of other factors that influence that. This world is, has love is in a con condition or context of love only because God brings it to us. The natural is not necessarily devoid of God, but it's just matter, it's material. It is the Holy Spirit, the divine nature and character that brings life to all things living, but that's especially important and significant to us because we are the closest thing in a natural context to God. He has chosen to give the garden unto us. But if we can't love one another, 
because we don't know how to receive the love of God in Christ Jesus so that the Holy Spirit then, the glory of the Lord, manifests inside of us, inside of the Ark of the Covenant, which is the promise that it would come and proceed forth or out of that, so much that even as with Solomon and other examples too in the word, they couldn't get back into the temple because the glory of their Lord was so profound. We are vessels. God chooses us to distribute love first unto one another, but then unto the world. And if we can't do it in that measure and manner and way, then what good are we? Which would not be, again, my condemnation unto you or even unto myself. It would be your condemnation unto yourself and my condemnation unto me. That's what we need. That's where healing is. That's where life is. When we learn the love of Christ, when we learn to love in Christ, when we learn to share our love one unto another, unto another in Christ. That's where the healing is. All the iniquity and sin in this world is a byproduct of failed innocence. It's trauma. It's the result of humans dying from within because they have shut themselves off out of fear. Not of God, but of the vulnerability possibly, but more so at the seduction the trickery of the devil who seduces us even as he did Eve and supposedly, likely Adam in the garden. I say only likely, supposedly. I think Adam knew what was going on, but his love for Eve was great enough that he even so chose himself to die so that he might be there, improve that, establish that love. God had consecrated it. God had placed it in both of them for one another. Even as before Eve partook of that fruit in the Garden of Eden of knowledge of good and evil, God had been with Adam and Eve, fellowshiped with Adam and Eve on a daily basis. Now, to try to bring this to some point, we have a chance to do that for one another. Now, of course, you can come see me, and that is fantastic. I enjoy my work. I love sharing the Word of God. I love experiencing God's love. I don't advantage personally in a human way. I never manipulate. I never take advantage of that situation in a human way. But I have to tell you this, that I am partaking of the tree of life even in my counseling sessions with you because though I am not operating out of myself, I am operating out of God. And there is no reason, there is no law against that. The word says that. There is no ethical consideration that would preempt that. I love you in Christ Jesus, and I experience love from you, 
even as the Holy Spirit would flow between us. But it doesn't mean you have to do what I do for a living. <laughs> it's a ministry. You can do that one into another, and would that not even be better? It's just that because there are so many who are so lost, and we have not found yet the, the vehicle to do that in that manner or way, or maybe God has employed all vehicles, particularly as we might be approaching the end times, the Holy Spirit, he's pouring forth. We're going to experience a resurrection of Christ in the end days like none has seen since Christ. It will be progressive, it will be gradual, but in the end, it will manifest Jesus in such a way, getting back to the book of Revelation, all the seals will be broken. We will, for the first time, be all united in Christ. And all those things, literally so, that the book of Revelation speaks to, that John presented, must come to pass before that occurs. That takes nothing away from that. But we get an opportunity, even as I'm presenting it to you on the podcast today, to begin to see what we do now really, in effect, is no different either from what God has done before what God did in Christ, and what we are called to do as ambassadors of Christ in Jesus Christ, entering into his ministry that will one day come to its complete and total fruition when Jesus comes again. There's healing not only for the nations, but for the person. But we have to understand it's out of our ability to live within and abide within the definitions. Abide within the Old Testament definitions. To not harm others means we have to die for them. We have to sacrifice our self-defense. Self, emphasis self. God is our avenger. He is our defender. But there is nothing that love won't either overcome or heal, even, even if the wound appears mortal to your death. It isn't, because God can and proves in Christ Jesus he could resurrect you from the dead. But you have to be courageous, operate in faith. These are the messages of my counseling sessions. Operate in courage. Allow God to encourage Read the word of God to know it from Genesis to Revelation so that you can see both the context, the definitions, as well as how in that then the fulfillment, kingdom of God as well as heaven comes to manifestation. And along the way, if you need some help, holler at me. You can reach us. You can find us. I'll post the email. You can email me directly. You can also find us at covenantschristiancounseling.com. You can reach us at 304-528-9220 if you care to make the long-distance call. Email, reach out to us, call us, whatever. We're glad to be there and help. Come back to the next podcast. But you also can love one another. Again, 
I consider it an incredible, an incredible privilege, a great privilege to be able to bring the Word of God to you on what is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry. Again, my name is Dr. David Clay, Michael David Clay, and of course, I hope to have you join us again on the next podcast. In the meantime, God bless.